The problem with the mental illness narrative on this edition of Truth and Love. I'm Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions for the problems that people face. Today on the podcast, once again, for the month of May, I have with me Dr. Sam Stevens, uh, who is Director of Training Center Certification here at ACBC. And uh, Sam, this is an interest, uh, an area of interest for, for both you and I to, to study in the, the world of secular psychology and to try and understand uh, some of the, the vain philosophies that have been impacting the church, uh, both from a, a modern perspective and also a historical perspective. And it's interesting to me, we, we move uh, in this month of May, Mental Health Awareness Month, and our last two weeks we've been discussing ideas and topics within this realm. And this week we turn our attention specifically to the definition of mental illness. This term is used quite frequently uh, when talking about diagnoses from the DSM and uh, also the term mental disorder. And I really want us this week to, to sort of hone in on those terms and how misconstrued those terms are, uh, what misconceptions we have, uh, especially among the common culture. Uh, and so I, I want to see what we can do to just expose what reality is relative to the definition. And, and so here's where we're going to start today, okay? What, what I want to do is I'm just going to read the definition from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. This is the, what we've been talking about, the Bible of Psychiatry. I'm going to read to you the definition. Now, it's interesting the definition of mental disorder, which is what's categorized throughout the whole of this book, it, it uses the term mental disorder and not mental illness. It, the, the writers of the DSM recognize that there is not enough evidence to use the term illness uh, even in its own description. So it uses the term mental disorder. And the reason is because we're in an era of what's called descriptive psychiatry. We're in an era of what's called criteria-based uh, psychiatry, which means we try and lump together certain criteria sets or symptoms that allow us to now categorize what the problems that people have. So I want to read the definition. I'm going to ask you a question. I want us to, to get off uh, on talking about this issue of mental disorder. So here's the, the definition. A mental disorder is a syndrome characterized by clinically significant disturbance in an individual's cognition, emotion regulation, or behavior that reflects a dysfunction in the psychological, biological, or developmental processes underlying mental functioning. Mental disorders are usually associated with significant distress or disability in social, occupational, or other important activities, an expectable or culturally approved response to a common stressor or loss, such as death of a loved one, is not a mental disorder. Socially deviant behavior, uh, like political, religious, sexual, and conflicts that are primarily between the individual and society, are not mental disorders unless the deviance or conflict results from a dysfunction in the individual as described above. Now, that was a mouthful. I understand that, but I want you to hear exactly extrapolated from the DSM what, how they define this idea of mental disorder. Because our common concept is that we're talking about uh, identifiers. We're talking about illnesses that now uh, that, that people have. We say terms like, I have depression or I have anxiety, identifying it with something like, I have cancer. And those are two different things categorically. So 
Sam, help us understand, how are we to think about these terms, mental illness and mental disorder? Sure. I think you really helped our listeners understand that these these, these two terms, uh, well, especially uh, as it relates to disease, as that's popularly known, uh, they're conflated. They're conflated together. Um, that for most of history, the idea of disease was uh, actually pretty clearly outlined. Um, you can think of this in three different generations, if you will, of disease. This first is what's most uh, probably comes to our listeners' mind uh, to uh, at first, and this idea of traditional medicine, um, a physiological, organic. A problem in the body it has a cause that's identifiable, and there's a pathology that can be identified. Right there, there's um, a link between what is manifested in the body and the uh, the cause or the etiology of the of the problem. Um, but what's happened is, especially as we've talked about in the last couple of podcasts, as we've seen psychiatry uh, kind of move under this uh, umbrella, move into the realm of traditional medicine is that the generation of disease or the concept of disease has expanded to include things like disorders. Um, and so what's what's happened is we've moved from this, again, traditional medical understanding of disease into uh, psychological problems that are emotional, uh, manifested emotionally, and then even into behaviors that uh, most people would commonly refer to as addictions. So the DSM um, has everything from uh, major depressive disorder, bipolar disorder, um, obviously linked to, again, that emotional manifestations, to everything, uh, to things including internet use disorder or gambling disorder. So now, and we're going to see that continue to balloon. It's going to um, now encompass uh, everything, uh, not just what we would think of as uh, cancer, diabetes, these traditional uh, disease ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and when we think about the idea of mental illness, it's interesting to me that what we see common in literature in psychiatry right now is uh, people are decrying the idea that we have a definition. We, we do not have a definition of mental illness. In, in fact, many of the leading psychiatrists are saying, uh, we don't know how to define it. It's an undefinable concept. Uh, the idea that you take something immaterial and, and put it in the category of disease uh, where it has a pathology, you, you cannot define that. This is why uh, we still use the term mental disorder. And from that definition, it, it's heavily laden upon the, the term syndromes. Now, what in the world are syndromes? Syndromes are just a collection of symptoms. And, and this is the underlying base. This primary definition is what builds the structure of the DSM in, in the division of diagnoses, in the division of uh, criterias, by, by the labels that people receive. And, and it's just simply a collection of symptoms. Now, this is not to say that we don't have symptoms. My goodness, we, we all experience with the difficulty and troubles of life all sorts of symptoms. Uh, but the Bible has a lot to say about this. For us to give credence to the DSM as if they have the market on categorizing and defining these collection of symptoms together and that they have answer as to how and why and the way in which we should treat these types of human maladies, uh, I think is a qu- quite a misnomer. And we've bought uh, into us thinking that this is scientifically based, when in reality it's simply collections of descriptions. Yeah, and I think uh, part of the reason, too, why this has become such a dominant way of thinking in the broader culture is because psychiatry as a field has had has been very concerted in their efforts in communicating this. But as we've noted in re- just reading the DSM, there's in between the lines you see that they have to be honest about the fact that this is always evolving. Let me read this brief sentence from the introduction of the DSM-5. 
And I want you to listen very closely because you're going to see this contradiction actually in the text. It says this, while DSM has been the cornerstone of substantial progress in reliability, it has been well recognized by both the American Psychiatric Association and the broad scientific community working on mental disorders that past science was not mature enough to yield fully validated diagnoses. That is, to provide consistent, strong, and objective scientific validators of individual DSM disorders. The science of mental disorders continues to evolve. Mm -hmm. So they provide themselves a lot of wiggle room there. Mm -hmm. uh, it's always evolving. Uh, we recognize that past sciences really couldn't validate these, but, hey, we're moving forward. And that opens the door for future iterations of the DSM. That's exactly right. And this is the, the common question whenever criticism is, is laid against uh, the APA, especially as it relates to the collection of the DSM. Uh, the, the, the common answer is we're still a young science. We still have a lot to learn. And in what you just read is exactly a demonstration of that. We're still evolving and understanding uh, what, what, what we do moving forward. But, but it doesn't remove the point that the basis for which we rest on now in our secular understanding of these types of disorders uh, is not a scientific basis that's pathological, that deems the term illness, that should carry with it labels uh, that become identifiers for people. And so the DSM, I think, is clear on that. It's a collection of symptoms. Now, I think that's important for us as we discuss these terms, mental disorder, mental illness. Uh, is, there, is there really a difference between this idea of disease and the idea of disorder? That's a great question. This goes back to our podcast last week about biological psychiatry. This has been the dominant framework and perspective of the field of psychiatry for over 100 years now, with, with a, a brief blip in there for psychoanalysis. But again, it, the whole thrust of biological psychiatry is moving concepts of mental trouble, mental anguish under the disease model. And that's been the, the definite approach. So yes, there, there's an attempt to conflate disorder, uh, again, not ignoring that there are symptoms, that there may be physical manifestations, but we are assuming that the collection of those symptoms equals what the APA says is an illness. And that's, that's not the same as a, a traditional historical uh, medical disease, as we've understood it. That's right. I mean, and part of the reason is because what we're doing now is taking philosophical dispositions and philosophical leanings and now putting them under the umbrella of scientific fact. Uh, Sam, that's dangerous when you think about it. And I hope our listeners are able to understand the difference. What is the detriment of something like this? Um, part of the issue here that I think is, is so paramount is as, as we look at the term disease, we look at the term disorder, we're talking about two distinct things, but culturally, people have conflated these ideas. They put them together. And uh, part of the problem is, is psychiatry has borrowed from uh, the, the natural good advancements of the medical world. I fear, though, that the detriment has become over the last 70 years is that the medical model has become diluted to some degree by borrowing from the scientism of psychiatry. And, uh, and the basis that they build on philosophy and approaching things without uh, pathological knowledge, but with a philosophical approach. And, and that's the detriment I think we see in trying to conflate the idea of legitimate pathological disease, which we clearly see in medical science, versus this collection of symptoms that we've used in biological psychiatry in the term of disorder. And we've conflated those two things, unfortunately. I, I want to read something from... Gary Greenberg, who 
is the author of the Book of Woe. It's it's a book that that talks specifically about the DSM. He's a psychologist, been longtime psychologist. He's been involved in uh, psychiatry and psychology uh, with the APA. He's friends with a lot of top level psychiatrists. And this is one of the things he writes in one of the chapters of the Book of Woe. He says this, but descriptive psychiatry also has a major problem. Its diagnoses are nothing more than groupings of symptoms. If during a two-week period you have five of the nine symptoms of depression listed in the DSM, then you have, quote-unquote, major depression. No matter your circumstances or your own perception of your troubles, no one should be proud of that uh, type of descriptive system, uh, Alan Francis says. The fact that we do only reveals our limitation, end quote. Instead of curing the profession's own malady, descriptive psychiatry has just covered it up. And, and how has it covered it up? I think this is evident when we're able to see from the DSM-1 to the DSM-5 the change of the definitions that have happened even within it. Uh, Aaron Bil- Bilba says this, from the DSM-1 to the DSM-5, definitions of mental illness have evolved with the culture. And here are a few examples. Think of autism, ADD, ADHD, depression. The, the ever-changing, uh, ebbing, and flowing of this idea of depression, uh, the idea of bipolar. Uh, if you look historically, that has ebbed and flowed and changed, and not with medical advancement, just with philosophical expressions. What about homosexuality? Uh, this idea that used to be considered a disorder in 1973 all of a sudden miraculously is extrapolated out of the DSM. Now, I'm not arguing for uh, homosexuality as being a disorder, but this is the way the secular culture uh, allowed this to continue, and they just take the definition out. It demonstrates that what we're dealing with here is not hard science. It's not finding pathology and searching for medical cure. Uh, this is something together, uh, all, altogether a different category, and that's what we need to be wary of. Can, can I just make one caveat before we continue? When Sam and I talk about these things, we are not uh, blanket, giving blanket statements about psychiatrists. Uh, There are some well-meaning, loved brothers and sisters in the field of psychiatry whose desire is to help people. What we're talking about is the whole system that we've bought into that we need to be cautious about that's built on a philosophical narrative that is contrary to the Scriptures and the way we understand man from the Scriptures and the way we understand man's problems. So I wanted to make that caveat because I think it's important. that That's not our goal is to decry human beings who are seeking to, to help. We're talking about a system that, that we've bought into, uh, our whole culture. I want to finish, Sam, if we can, with one final question. And this is a question I, I end up with a lot. <laughs> it's uh, okay, all the things that we've just talked about, and I'm sure some of our listeners are quite shocked at some of the things that we've we've discussed. Um, how in the world did we get here? I mean, I mean, how did we get to this place in in this modern concept of mental disorder and mental illness? How'd that happen? Well, again, we we talked about this a little bit. This is this is a philosophical shift, and this is an attempt to well-meaning people attempting to understand and explain things that didn't have an explanation in their uh, naturalistic framework. When we take God out of the picture, this theocentric worldview, this God-centered worldview, now we have to fill in the hole that's left there and try to explain the problems that people are facing. And so it makes complete sense in a naturalistic worldview, one that's focused on things that we can see and measure and taste and feel that's bound in the here and now um, to explain those things biologically. And that is essentially, uh, in brief, the the history of 
modern psychiatry and even psychology in some sense, uh, the, these different approaches to understanding uh, what plagues people. Because we can't ignore that people have problems, some things that we can't easily explain, some things that we do. But psychiatry has always promoted this brain, these brain illness theories. I mean, from the very early years mm-hmm. of what we know today as psychiatry, that's been the predominant explanation, as we've already discussed at length. And so, uh, you, but it's interesting, and I will note this as well, uh, again, you don't see psychiatry really act like a uh, medical practice. You see um, both pharmaceutical interventions, you see obviously more of the medical side of things, but right with that, and you see articles and books aplenty that discuss uh, talk therapies and psychotherapies right along as uh, addressing these problems. How do you see... How do you see traditional diseases, as we understand them, addressed that way? You, you don't. So it's uh, it just speaks to the fact that mental illness, mental disorders are not diseases as they should be understood. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Just to further describe the history, if you take a look at the history of psychiatry, uh, it, it was a discipline that was in struggle. There was a lot of scrutiny. You take things like uh, phrenology and some of the barbaric actions of psychiatric medicine historically in the asylums. Psychiatry had quite a bad name, as if they were some sort of modern shaman uh, sort of trying to make their way into the new medical advancements of the world. And it was a discipline that was in quite chaos, and uh, it was a discipline that was certainly frowned upon in the medical community. <clears throat> and so now they, they, they build in this philosophical narrative, they have uh, what many people historically have called magic bullets that treat these symptoms, and the narrative then is built, and they borrow from the advancements of medical, true medical uh, model and with penicillin and us fighting true diseases and that sort of thing. Uh, and, and now psychiatry appears as though it has arrived um, with all of its scientific vigor, and I think the problem when you study the history of it is it doesn't bear that story out. In fact, it's become, in my opinion, one of the ways in which we have bought into something that's an anti-philosophical narrative. We've bought into this idea of disease as something that we have when it's a collection of symptoms that we're actually experiencing. Uh, so there's much more that we could say about this, Sam. This has been the most difficult, I think, for us to to get into a short period of time. Uh, but next week, we're also going to discuss this idea as we talk about rethinking depression and rethinking anxiety as we continue on in this Mental Health Awareness Month. We do pray that this is helpful to you. Uh, as you think about some of the hindrances uh, as it relates to biblical counseling, why people in the culture um, don't seem to want to engage biblical counseling, part of the reason is because we've bought into this narrative. And so we pray that our discussions have been helpful to you in that way. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. Now, we've had several of you comment on the last several weeks of our of our podcast, and we're so delighted that you're engaging Uh, at this level. I understand this is a bit more academic in discussion, but I think it's important scripturally for us to defend against vain philosophies and empty deceptions. So for us to be aware of those things, those things that that often uh, attempt to hinder the truth. Last week, we actually mentioned uh, an article by Dr. David Pallison that had been released in the Journal of Biblical Counseling years ago. Um, It was called How to Counsel a Psychologized Counselee. Uh, We reached out to CCEF, the Christian Counseling Educational Foundation, and they were gracious enough to allow us to release that 
uh, in our show notes because many of you have asked, how do I get access to that? Uh, Dr. Powelson put that in several of his books uh, as an essay chapter, but the best place to find it is in the JBC. So we are connecting that to our show notes, and we want to make that available to you. And CCF has been gracious to allow us to give that to you for free for one week, the week of the release of this podcast, May 17th. And so we want to make that available to you, and we're, I'm so grateful to uh, CCF for allowing us to do that. Uh, and you can find that resource and many others at biblicalcounseling.com.